Welcome to Radically Transparent, the number one podcast for the modern day marketer, presented by Octopost, the only social media and employee advocacy solution architected for B2B. Each episode shines a light on the inner workings of B2B leadership, including what keeps successful CEOs, CMOs, and VPs up at night professionally. The conversations are real, raw, and authentic, all while revealing the unfiltered, not-so-known truths of today's most interesting marketers. Introducing your host, Jennifer Gutman. Hello, world. My next guest is the VP of Marketing at Bluescape and an accomplished product development and strategy leader with extensive experience in translating concepts into deliverable features. He also has an unconventional path into marketing, and we're going to learn all about it on today's show. Prior to his leadership at Bluescape, he led teams at Oblong Industries, Walt Disney, and the Creative Arts Agency, to name a few. Please welcome David Kung, VP of Marketing of Bluescape, to the show. David, are you ready to get radically transparent with me? Oh, I certainly hope so. I, I hopefully, my, you know, our our cat doesn't uh, decide to also be radically transparent. So apologies in advance if uh, he makes a special appearance. Well, we are a huge fan of cats, so feel free to have um, Mr. Cat or Miss Cat make an appearance on in. Uh, with that being said, before we jump in and learn a little bit more about you, um, Bluescape is a fascinating organization, and I was hoping you might be able to kick off by sharing a little bit about what Bluescape is and what value you're bringing to your customers. Oh, perfect. Yeah, so Bluescape is what's commonly called a visual collaboration platform. Some people call it online. Um, you know, but at its core, what it is, is giving people a virtual workspace that they can use for ideation, for content sharing, and for decision making. Uh, I think the main thing that makes Bluescape different than, say, a lot of folks in the visual collaboration space is our focus is really around content. So if you look at the way people use Bluescape uh, and differently than, say, how people might use uh, a standard online whiteboard, is that Standard online whiteboards, you see a lot of sticky notes and a lot of activity around structured collaboration. With Bluescape, you see a lot of content, like a lot of video, a lot of, of photos, a lot of imagery. Uh, and that's what's really attracting a significant amount of our user base is, is how actual visual materials can help drive creative decisions, can drive insight, uh, and can and really add more to uh, you know, the broad spectrum of what we call visual collaboration, but really broadening it out beyond just, you know, very important exercises like Kanban and Agile or what have you, but really thinking more broadly about how content as a whole can inform better collaboration and better decision-making. I love that, especially because we live in a world where, right, there's that saying content is king, but at the end of the day, if you can't create the type of content that is different or that can stand out or that is super creative or a little bit more complex, right? How are you going to stay ahead of your competitors? And and I know that you're no stranger um, to the space, right? But I was hoping also, you might be able to give us a brief overview because you have quite a fascinating professional background. It, it definitely had me when I was doing my due diligence, you know, looking through your LinkedIn profile and Googling your name. I mean, you, you just, you have a fascinating fascinating career. So maybe if you could tell us a little bit about how did you find yourself at Bluescape or what were some of the experiences that led you into this industry? Because it, it truly is fascinating. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, I think the common thread uh, throughout my you know career is uh, a shared love of technology and storytelling. 
right? And how technology creates new ways of, of telling stories. And so if we go back to the beginning, uh, you know, I went to MIT particularly to go to the, the media lab and particularly to join the interactive cinema group. And that was all around how, you know, with the digitization of video and nonlinear video, but really moving, you know, cinema from its roots of, you know, silver nitrate uh, to, uh, you know, where we are now. And so it was very much about bringing those two worlds together. So I did that, you know, came out to, you know, what was then called Sillywood, which was the convergence of Silicon Valley and uh, and, and Hollywood uh, at, you know, a, a company that was doing kind of early interactive, you know, games, interactive movies. Uh, now, you know, of course, you know, I, my whole life has been <laughs> going through the trough of disillusionment and back again. Uh, but, you know, though that didn't work out. So I went back from L.A. to the East Coast, worked at a Media, media Lab spinoff. Uh, and that Media Lab spinoff was then hired to do some interactive TV prototypes for Disney. Uh, and so uh, it was a fascinating journey because I came out, came back to L.A. for two weeks to finish the prototype uh, about four months later. Uh, we we did an amazing demo uh, that eventually was launched in what was called ABC's Enhanced TV, which at the time was enhancing a third of the ABC primetime schedule. Now, granted, a lot of that was Monday Night Football and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, <laughs> uh, but you know it was it was really think really it was a um, a web based experience that was synchronized with a television broadcast, and so you can play along with games, play along with news events, stuff like that. So at that did that for a few years. And then I got the opportunity to join CAA, Creative Artists Agency, which, which at the time was one of the, the leading talent and literary agencies. Uh, it was, you know, back what we used to call, you know, Web 1.0. Um, and they were uh, looking for people who had, had the ability to really translate and understand what new technology and what was then called new media could do, both in terms of evaluating new business opportunities or to uh, support their clients. And so it was through that pathway in what was then called the new media group. And then there was the dot apocalypse. So another trough of disillusionment and then back up to inflated expectations because we then went from silly wood to a term that was then called Madison and Bine, which was the convergence of kind of marketing and, and entertainment and the creation of branded content or strategic content. And so even though my role primarily at the beginning was focused around being a technology subject matter expert, being within a marketing organization and also supporting some business development efforts, uh, I found my way into marketing. So I was there at CAA for a couple of years. Uh, and then an opportunity came to go back to Disney. So uh, I then uh, returned to uh, Disney in the Parks and Resorts segment and was a creative director at what was then called uh, Parks and Resorts Online. Now it's been laddered up in, in between, I forget, it's another um string of string of vowels uh, vowels and nouns anyway uh so i was there at disney for uh, a few years uh um as a co-gm of all the owned and operated websites for the disney parks and resorts segment so even then it was if you think about technology and storytelling it was really twofold because one is if you think about just the complexity of booking a vacation and how do you actually help people understand that process so at that same time you are helping to drive that user journey you're also assisting people in terms of capturing memories and telling the stories of their experiences. And so I was fortunate enough to be involved uh, in some of the early stage work on what was then called the next generation experience stuff. Um, so then went from there to uh, back to my roots to another Media Lab spinoff, which was Oblong. Uh, and they were doing what was then, you know, called like, you know, immersive collaboration, but it was, uh, uh, it was a, 
It was a company largely founded on the basis that its founder had designed the um, gestural interfaces that were depicted in the film Minority Report. Mm -hmm. And people basically said, hey, can you build up for real? And he said, yeah. And so at Album, they were actually developing some some amazing technology and uh, and work. And it was from then that we uh, had developed a collaboration tool called Mezzanine, did that for uh, almost a decade, um, and then had an opportunity to join Bluescape, which was in, in a similar field. It was all within visual collaboration, uh, but as opposed to being very much about in-room interaction and in-room technology and deployment, uh, it was all SaaS-based and cloud-based, right? So a much easier go-to-market, right? Yeah. Because you can go, you know, it's it's hard enough trying to sell into rooms and deal with AV and IT, but, you know, it's, it's much easier. Uh, it, was, it is much easier. It's not any less difficult, but it's easier, <laughs> you know, with the go-to-market that's based upon SaaS. Yeah. Uh, and even within that, it's about... And I think the great thing about visual collaboration is it's a different way of expressing yourself, of of capturing ideas and concepts and processes. Um, and if you think about what, like 50% of your, your brain is focused on, you know, processing vision, right? Uh, if you look at that study that came out, what, what, a year or two ago around how like, you know, Zoom fatigue is real because you get so fixated on, you know, interacting and looking at the person in front of you that it just, you get fatigued and your brain isn't actually leveraging all those things that it does really, really well, finding patterns, finding outliers, finding similarity, and that rapid fire comparison and kind of visual cognition that we all are, are gifted with and blessed with, we're not leveraging in a lot of collaboration. And so it's 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 a different way, in my view, of, of storytelling, whether that's finding inspiration, illustrating a process, you know, searching for an insight, uh, making a decision. Uh, that's what I love about about the space that we're in today. I so love hopefully it. that that made sense. <laughs> It makes perfect sense. And I really could listen to this, you know, for a whole few more episodes because it's a fascinating <laughs> journey. And when you talk about storytelling and technology and then think about where we are today, right? I mean, the sky is really the limit. So I have to ask, right, with <laughs> technology and storytelling and the way everything is is changing so quickly, what is keeping you up at night professionally these days? Yeah, what primarily keeps me up at night is actually the the doing of the work. So, uh, you know, I I try to do my best not to you know just obsess just around the thinking, right? Because and and not let those things be the things that keep me up at night. Because uh, you know, I always try to be solution oriented. So, you know, it's for me, it's the part of our struggles are that. Uh, you know, we're a small team. And so we're responsible for strategy, tactics, and execution. Uh, and so, you know, if there's days where it's like, okay, we just got to work on positioning copy, we got to update the website. Uh, and oftentimes during the day, you're stacked up with meetings and the context switching. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the work uh, in terms of, you know, especially when it's a creative endeavor, right? You just need to block everything out and have focused time and just do it. And it's hard to find the time of the day, right, to, to make that happen. So what I, usually what keeps me up at night is actually the, the doing <laughs> works. So I, I hear that, right? The doing and, and what you mentioned, right, balancing strategy and tactics with the doing and, and there's just not enough hours in the day. So it leads me to ask, like for Bluescape specifically, what would you say are some of the biggest marketing challenges right now for you and, and how are you overcoming them? Yeah, I think our biggest challenge right now, uh, challenges right now are, uh, we have three very distinct markets. So, um, you know, about a year and a half, two years ago, we 
started the change from you know SLG sales led growth to PLG product led growth, like, like many companies do. Now that said, you know we have you know a, a B two G business, business of government. Uh, we have still have SLG and B two B, and now we're growing this PLG marketplace, and then trying to find a way that we can then ladder up individual users into teams and accounts. We're having to do that with you know three different go to markets with the same product and also you know a small team and so we have to be very very focused in terms of in terms of what we do and and how we prioritize our tasks so i think that's that's the biggest challenge how do we manage it uh just try to be as focused as possible uh and uh not placing too many bets on the table and being mindful and measuring what tests that we do do that we do try attempt <laughs> to to do and and see you know and see what works and learn from that Absolutely. Absolutely. And listen, I don't think it's an, e it's, it's anything easy, right? And you mentioned earlier, right? Moving over to the SaaS, you know, it's not necessarily that it's, it's easier. It has its own complex challenges. And I think one of the challenges that I'm seeing and we're facing a lot of times, especially in today's economy, right? Is shifting to managing priorities, projects, tactics with limited resources. And I was, I was joking with a friend earlier, right? Where it seems like not only is it limited resources, but in some cases, it seems like it's no resources and you have to create almost something from nothing. So how, how are you shifting into that mindset? Yeah, I, I, I joke with my team a lot of times. I'll, I'll say things like, you know, one step forward, two steps back. is It's a great strategy when you're walking the plank, uh, which, you know, at any startup, right? You're constantly trying to, you know, outrun your your, your cash flow. And so you're, you're always trying to move forward. You know, we say things like, you know, we're, we're flying the plane as we build it. Um, you know, like those are all just sort of fun things you say just to keep keep things lively. Um, but the main piece of advice I, I give my team and that we, 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 we focus on is, you know, the whole, you know, another trope, right? But the minimum effective dose, right? What is the thing, you know, that will require the least amount of effort and uncertainty, but drive the maximum impact uh, yeah. and focus on that and try not to let, you know, a lot of the, you know, um, you know, smaller things, right? You know, like, you know, like they say, don't sweat the small stuff. Like let's focus on the big rocks, you know, for those of, you know, uh, that's another methodology. And that's, that's the thing is really try to, focus yourself around where you think you can have the most impact. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm loving these slogans. You know, I'm like, I, I feel like I need to like save, underline, highlight, put them on post-its around my desk um, with to, to, for motivation, <laughs> right? They're there. It's true, right? To lighten things up. So, so with that, and just, I don't know, as a marketing leader, how are you continuing to motivate your team, especially in times like these, right? That not only motivates them, but also helps move the needle forward at the same time, which I do think is a complete art form. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of time it is it's dependent upon, I guess, the demands of the team uh, and and the individual. But for the most part, you know, I you know I, I align with you know Daniel Pink and that notion of you know intrinsic motivation. So, you know, I always tell my team I'll I'll give you more than enough rope to hang yourself with. <laughs> now, on the plus side, you know, I'm I'm entrusting them and empowering. But as part of that bargain, though, of course, is, you know, it, it, you have to understand that there is a safety net yeah. available, right? That, you know, it isn't just that, you know, it's it's not sink or swim. It's more, okay, grab the rope and <laughs> let's see what you can do with it. Uh, but, you know, so I, I try as much as I can to empower people and just define, okay, here's the space, 
and I might just define here's here's the broad timeline and here is the specific area that I want to see some improvement and progress in. But then at that point, let the individual, you know, largely drive you know, the effort and the execution. And I'll just come in in terms of maybe doing some reviews and some touch-ups and last looks here and there. Uh, but that's my hope. As long as we give people some interesting problems to solve, uh, make them know that they're empowered and trusted um, and that it's okay to, you know, it's okay to fail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think that couldn't have been better said, right? I think sometimes our greatest failures lead to sometimes the best creative outcomes in, in some capacity. So it's always... Right. I, what did you say about the rope? Right. You're, you're, it's yeah. always there. But um, <laughs> so I want to just move over. And this, I have a few more questions for you for sure. the for the episode. Um, And, you know, right now is a really interesting time. I have to confess, if I'm going to be radically transparent, sometimes going on LinkedIn lately is just a little bit depressing as you see, you know, layoff after layoff after layoff. Um, And it's a it's a difficult time, especially for marketers, I feel. But maybe right. Maybe marketing is always the first to go. Who knows? Um, but as a marketing leader, as you're thinking about 2023, and I know it's very hard to predict the future, we've kind of learned that, right? 2020, 2021, 2022. Um, if you're thinking about, or if you're a marketing leader and you're looking to like restructure your team, um, and I know that there's like a term like slim down your team, in your opinion, what formula would you recommend to use or what do you use to effectively structure your team in times like these to make sure you're getting, you know, the maximum output, the most creativity and kind of the best teamwork to, to move that needle. Yeah. And, and to be, yeah, this along the lines of radical transparency, I think to make those decisions, you, you have to, in a way, not think about the individuals, sadly. Right. And, and you just have to think about what are the demands of the organization? Like what are the business demands, and then how can you fit uh, a marketing or you know how how can you structure a marketing organization to best deliver upon those outcomes? And at that point, then you you almost you have to force yourself to just think about position and role and need, right? And then and sadly, you know the net result of that, right, is you know you know a separation reduction in force synergy downsizing reengineering. One plus one equals three. Whatever you want to call it, uh, it's 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 never an easy process, right? But uh, you know, as a as a marketing leader, your first priority is in terms of okay, how can we help the company achieve its revenue goals and and its marketing goals, and then structure, you know, the roles as best you can to accomplish that. Yeah. Um, and then that's that's and then and then always be mindful through all, all the ups and the downs is that that's when you're focused on the individuals, right? And then, um, so it's it's a tough find, but it's it's something that we all have to, you know, suffer through. Yeah, my, my hat really goes off to a lot of leaders right now because it's never easy. Um, and it's, it's top, it's constantly top of mind. Uh, two more questions for you. One, you know, I, I, I am fascinated truly by your background. And I think what I would <laughs> I really, I mean, just the, the technology and the storytelling and it's coming together. It's like the perfect storm for where we are in today's world. What's one thing you learned in the experience design space or kind of in your previous, you know, when you were focused more on the technology, if you will, that you think has helped you be successful in the marketing space? 
Yeah, I think it's, uh, I, oh gosh, I forget them now. There was, I forget that there were like Mickey's 10 commandments. So <laughs> folks can just Google that uh, from Imagineering. But the whole notion is just like, you know, like Disney would say walking in your guest shoes, right? Usability experts would say walk in your user's shoes. But I think that's the, that's the most important thing is, you know, really trying to understand and interpret, um, you know, what the customer need is. Uh, and then uh, you either market to that need, right? Or you have that need drive your your tactics. And mm-hmm. and and that's the hardest thing, right? It's just so, you know, as a marketer, you know, we we you know, we well, we always tend to be like, you know, they with all of our communications, we focus too much on the feature. And the hard part is trying to communicate the advantage and the benefit, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, whether you call that solution selling or jobs to be done or what have you. Um, if, if you can truly get underneath it all and understand, you know, what is it that the the customer truly, not just wants, not just desires, but truly needs, right? So that whole other trope, right? Are you a vet, vitamin or a medicine, right? You you want to be a you want to be a medicine. Um, that that's that's the challenge, is mm-hmm. is always holding yourself to that standard and, and, and not that you'll always make it right, but at least hold yourself to the standard to aspire to it. I, I, I love it. I love it. Um, last question for you. Um, and it's a, a question I ask all my guests and it's one of the favorites of the show. What is one thing you can tell us about yourself that we actually cannot learn about you from LinkedIn? And we know that you have a cat, so it cannot be the cat. <laughs> Oh God, that was so many random weird things. <laughs> um I yeah. I guess a weird one that comes up is uh, I I I studied almost two years of modern dance in high school. Yeah. Really? Yeah. We had an artist in residence. So it wasn't like a full two years, but yeah, that's why I, I did a little bit of modern dance in high school. I love the creativity. That's fantastic. And and I'm not I, saying oh, I wasn't necessarily very good at it, but you know. <laughs> but you know what I have to I have to ask, right? Is there any um uh record of it on YouTube or was it before YouTube times? There might be. There is a it wasn't modern dance, but there is a YouTube uh <laughs> kind of a music video of of my time in high school. That so that's uh yeah, if anyone wants to uh, I, I don't even know if it's entertaining, but uh, if they look up uh, Charles Manson's birthday, Otis Ball and the Chains, they'll probably see myself and, and two of my friends in, in high school just being ridiculous to, 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 a, to a good song. Yeah. That's fantastic. So listen, if anybody wants to uh, check out um, the dancing skills, we know where to find you. If anyone wants to learn more about Bluescape, if anybody wants to talk more about technology, storytelling, connect with you, where is the best place to reach you? Um, best place to reach me is probably LinkedIn. However, word of caution, I, I have a, you know, like I forget like where I read these strategies, but I said, okay, I'll just adopt those. So I, I have a LinkedIn strategy of I only accept uh, incomings from people I've actually worked with or I've actually had an interaction with. So like, you know, I would gladly now accept your invite. Uh, I don't accept... Um, invites from people I've, I've just never met because it in, no, in my view it, it dilutes the power of the network i uh, think it's fair and i actually do the same thing i'm very particular about my linkedin network mm-hmm. um so yeah so probably you know you know 
check out what we're doing at Bluescape. Uh, you know, we're doing some really exciting things, especially with uh, with PopSync, which is our, our a new capability with federated image search. So uh, that'd probably be the best way is check that out uh, or just be very, very persuasive and persistent if they do attempt to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> David, it's been fun. It's been transparent. I've had a blast. Thank you so much for getting radically transparent with us today. And I uh, look forward to a future conversation. Absolutely. And thanks for having uh, inviting Bluescape to participate in the podcast. You have a great rest of your week. Yep. Thanks for tuning in to the Radically Transparent podcast brought to you by Octopost, the only social media management and employee advocacy platform architected for B2B. I'm Jennifer Gutman, your host and director of social strategy here at Octopost. And if you love today's show, we'd love if you subscribe, rate, and give a raving review wherever you get your podcasts. For more discussion on B2B social media marketing, be sure to follow Octopost on LinkedIn. And of course, to gain access to all our free social media marketing and employee advocacy resources, head on over to our website, www.octopost.com. Until next time.